0: I would invite you to turn over in your Bible to Genesis chapter 4, Genesis chapter 4, as we continue our way through the book of Genesis, we are seeing that Genesis is a book of origins, we've seen the origin of of the universe, the origin of man, we see uh, the origin of, of marriage, uh, family, and now we're, we're looking at the origin of sin, and just that, that progression of, of sin and It seems to escalate quickly. Genesis chapter 4. Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground and from your face I will be hidden and I will be a "...vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me." So the Lord said to him, "...therefore whoever whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold." And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, so that no one finding him would slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden." Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your precious Word. How good it is. How refreshing to our souls. uh, To our parched souls that are in need of, of daily sustenance. Lord, may we be fed today. Fed richly from Your Word today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the biggest fears as a pastor is when you're talking with people and you begin to realize that they have a pretty low view of their own sinfulness. Or they, they kind of minimize it. It's, they, they kind of dismiss it, just kind of generic. Yeah, yeah, we're all sinners, we're all sinful. It's just kind of a generic thing. They don't kind of, just don't own up to their own sinfulness. To them it's not a big deal. And, and that kind of scares me. Especially when they, they blame other people. They blame the circumstances. It's always somebody else's fault. Something else's fault. And, and I begin to, to question in my mind. this. It, it, there's, there's a sense of. Are they deceiving themselves? And there's a sense of danger here. And as a pastor. It's a, it's a major concern. Because there's really no middle ground with sin. You're either fighting sin. Or you're, you're, you're giving in to sin. Christ, I mean, God informed us of this in this very passage that we're dealing with in the first of chapter four. God informs Cain that, that sin is, is like a lion and it's crouching at the door and its desire is to, to have you. Its desire is to master you, to, to conquer you, to, to gain and maintain control of you. It wants to be your slave master. That's, that's the idea. God, To God, sin was a bigger deal than I think we think of sin today. Christ even said, to him who commits sin, he is a slave to sin. Now that's pretty strong language. Paul even goes and says, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were sinful so much and so bad that we didn't even know our sinfulness. Now, in the last week we saw that 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 sin, that enemy, if you will, is within us. That sin nature was passed down from Adam and Eve from generation to generation to the whole human race. And it resides in us. Now it's easy for us to understand one sin. We can understand one sin. It's a little harder for us to see sinfulness. Sinfulness. There's a big difference. Paul, we saw last week in Romans chapter 7, that Paul's description here is that he discovered, he found, that sin resides in him. It, it lives lives in him. It's taken up residence. It's inside him. This enemy within, and it's it, it wants to master him. It wants to control him and enslave him. Same idea, same concept. It never rests. It never sleeps. It never takes a vacation. And he has to fight it. Constantly fighting. And he has to fight it on the heart level. So it's a constant battle of the will. Sin wants to dominate his will. Now, that's, that's where I think the problem is for us today in, in the American church. Is many times we don't want to recognize our sinfulness. We kind of want to minimize it. And I believe that we're deceiving, on our, our, deceiving ourselves when we do that. Um, people see their sin, but not their sinfulness. Um, as like, uh, And the result of that is what J.C. Ryle says. There's a, a quote that I, I noticed this week by him. Christ is never fully valued until sin is clearly seen. We have to see it. We have to see it in our own self. We have to own it. We must know the the depth and the magnitude of the disease in order to appreciate the great physician, right? Christ is the great physician. And until we see the the real disease, we're never really going to appreciate what Christ has done. Each sin. We can see a sin, but that sin is just a symptom of a deeper issue. A deeper disease, if you will. A deeper sickness. We, We sin... Folks, because we are sinful. Okay? We hate because we're haters at heart. We lust because we're adulterers at heart. We lie because we're liars. We are angry because we are murderers at heart. And we don't love the Lord as we should because in our hearts we are idol worshippers. We're pagan idolaters. We're rebels. We we, we rebel because we are rebels. That's what we do. That's in our sinful nature. Now we don't like to use those terms. That's a little harsh. You say, well, we're not that bad, but we will never appreciate Christ's atoning work until we see our sinfulness. Our sinfulness puts, sinfulness put him on the cross, Christ on the cross. We need to see our sin clearly. We need to own our sin. We need to be able to see our sinfulness. Again, we can identify sin. We look at the Ten Commandments and say, Okay, well, I haven't done this, I haven't done that. But sin goes far deeper into sinfulness. And it, it, it resides in the way we think. The motives of our heart. The lack of love for God. a lack of love for other people. And the real problem is our standards. Now, we, we were talking about this in Sunday school, and, and I would encourage you to be a part of our Sunday school class. It's it's just a, a great time of, of fellowship as we just come together around God's Word and, looked at, and look at these things. But the real problem is our standards. I, I believe our standards are, are convoluted, are, are uh, uh, they're compromised. God's Word is the the high standard that we are to... We're expected to adhere to. And it's not something that we experience here on this earth. We don't really see it so much. We think of standards as something just external. As we, we put on. Or we have to wear certain clothes. Or do certain things. Or can't do certain things. That kind of thing. But when we use the standard of God's word. We, we see a, a different story. We have to look at scripture. Scripture has to be our standard. So we, uh, we saw in, in Sunday school we saw the moral law and we can we can look at, at this this standard we can see well yeah we see the moral law and it's really kind of a low standard don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't uh, worship idols. But then we, we see we look further in scripture, we see our roles and responsibilities that we are to to play, we are to, to do as a husband, as a father, as a, a parent, as a coworker, as a, a man, a citizen. There's responsibilities that I'm supposed to do. And if I don't do those things, it is sin. That's another level. Christ then comes along and says, look, we have to take it down to the heart level. Israel was not doing that. So they look pretty good to themselves anyway. And he says, if you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. If you're angry in your heart, then you've committed murder in your heart. So he takes it down to the heart level. And then Paul reminds us this this mandate of love that God has given us, that love is patient and kind and not jealous and doesn't brag. And so, down to the heart level, but even the motivation of the heart. And then, of course, we got the fruit of the Spirit. Um, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And anything less than these graces of life, folks, is sin, It's sin. It's hard for us to see that, but but it's it's sin. Unless we are living the fruit living out the fruit of the Spirit, we are we're self focused, self centered, and just plain sinful. Now this is a pretty high standard. Pretty high standard, but that's what we look when we that's what we see when we look at at God's Word. It's not so much that we're so wicked, but it's just that we're not good we don't pursue good. We just kind of like that middle of the road, and that is sin. Anything less than the work of the Holy Spirit in our life is sin. So we're we're far more affected by sin than we than we realize. We measure ourselves really by the world. The world's kind of the standard. We kind of like the status quo. We don't want to quote we don't want to be too righteous. So we just uh, we kind of mediocre we think of ourselves as okay, but then we just remain in our sinfulness. We think, oh, that's no big deal. But there's a, a danger here. There's a deception to sin, even the smallest of sin. And I want you to see this, because we can be deceived by the smallest of sin. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. Actually, well, let me just back up to verse um, 10 or verse 12. Take care, just be very careful, he says, brethren, talking to believers here, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. An evil, unbelieving heart. How do you know? How can you test that? How can you see? That would fall, that falls away from the living God. Now that's pretty scary. When sin has hardened our heart enough that we just, we just completely walk away. We, we have no conscience. We just go away from, go away from the Lord. How in the world does that happen? Verse 13. But encourage one another day after day. As long as it is still called day. That's the importance of a church being together. Just, just encouraging one another. And here's why. So that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is very deceptive. And it can harden the heart. Verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. We hold on. We fight if we stop fighting we give in sin wins but we know at the end that christ has conquered for us so right now we see the battle raging in our own life in our own heart and we don't know how it's going to end because it seems like sin is was winning but we know at the end christ is going to win if we hold on if we just give in to sin that sin hardens our heart to the point, sometimes you just see people walking away and you think, how in the world can they do that? It's because of the deceitfulness of sin. We have to be very careful about that. Sin is deceptive. Um, now, in our back to Genesis, God has put this in the context that God has uh, reminded Adam and Eve now, because of their sin, that there's going to be a battle going on. A war between the, uh, the seed of the woman and the seed of Satan. It's a war between good and evil. A war between righteousness and unrighteousness. God's people and Satan's people. And it's a war that will continue to go on. It's escalated in verse four or chapter 4. We see this with the death of Abel. He was the first victim, the first casualty of this war, if you want to call it that. And this war still goes on today. And the battle lies within our heart. And we have to fight. It's a war between good and evil. If we think that we have mastered that, we are deceiving ourselves. We we see in this passage here, in verse 9, we see a conversation between Cain and God. It's another conversation between God and Cain. And this is after the fact, after the fact that he has already murdered his brother. And what we have here is God has Cain dead to rights. He knows that uh, Cain has uh, committed murder in the first degree. But Cain really doesn't fess up to his sin. Uh, there, there's no remorse here. But this is a divine inspection. So God is is visiting Cain. He comes and it's more than just a conversation here. He's, He's really kind of drawn him into the court of law. What we see is a lack of remorse. No repentance here. And Cain just minimizing his sin and sinfulness. And what we see is that he is controlled by sin. This is a man that's just... Controlled by the, the sin nature. And we see and the the first baby that was to be born has this sin nature. And we must be very careful. Very careful of the deceitfulness of sin. And we see it played out in his life. And folks, there's a parallel between Cain's sinful heart and our sinful heart. It's going to be the same. It's going to be the same. <clears throat> now, the principle here is just this. That sin is deceptive. And it will deceive us into thinking that we are not as bad as we think we are. And folks, we need to grasp that. We need to own our sinfulness. How bad can it be? I mean, how bad are we? How how bad is this sinful nature? Well, let's look at this conversation here. We see it starts out with just a a question from God. Questioning here. And it moves all the way to the end where Cain just moves and leaves leaves God. So let's look at the first one. First point here is Cain's reaction to God's question in verse nine. Then the Lord God said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me. From the ground. Now you see a couple of questions here. The very first question is. Where is your brother? And Cain does what? He lies. Right off the bat. I don't know. You can tell right away. That sin is controlling this man's life. How casually he sin! How casually he lies. Doesn't bat an eye. Just just states it out there. He's lying to God. God who knows everything. God who knows the heart. He knows that. <clears throat> God questions what he doesn't see is confession and repentance. In fact, that 's why God is questioning. He's wanting Cain to he 's listening to confession to, from Cain, but Cain will have none of it. In fact, what Cain delivers is just sarcasm, a callous, deceptive heart. And Cain says, "Am I my brother's keeper?" That just oozes with sarcasm, and it 's actually a play on word uh, words. Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain's kind of playing off of that I'm not my brother's keeper and you see even in that you see resentment you liked Cain better than me and so he has he's justifying in himself and that's again a sinful sin nature sinful heart Cain is independent from the Lord he is indifferent to the Lord and he's saying you you just mind your own business here scary stuff the ways Talking to the Lord here. This is the one who created the universe. This is the one who fashioned his mom and dad. He's probably heard the stories a million times of how dad and mom met. How they were brought together by God himself. There's a lack of sense of gratitude here. There's a lack of sense of appreciation to who he's talking to. Again, characteristic of a sin nature. But then he goes a step further. He, he, in, in this little attitude that we see, he's actually challenging God. God doesn't have the right to, to question me. He's independent of God. You see a cold, calloused heart and, and un, a, a very lack, a a lack of humility here. There's no fear of God. There's no fear of the one he's speaking to. In fact, you would say that there's a, he's way too bold, way too bold to be challenging God. He's trying to turn the tables on God. Now, there's a certain world in which we see that this would be courageous. Okay, just think with me. In the world of rebels, if you will, in the world of rebels, this would be seen as strength. You're shaking your fist, you're coming up to the very face of God, shaking your fist in God's face. And they would say, wow, what a man. And he's not a man. This is not cool. This is not uh, one of those rebel moments. No, he is a fool. He is a fool. He's placed himself on par with God, or even maybe a little above God. And he is a man who is deceived. He thinks a little more highly of himself than he ought to think. He has fooled himself. He has fooled himself. We are not God's, folks. We're not on God's level. We are all people under authority. And and God is the head of all of that. And it shows full well that that he is just a slave to sin. He's a slave to his own sin nature. We see the second question here is, uh, where where is he? What have you done? And God knows full well what he has done. And the way he states it there. That uh, he he knows what he has done. God is the giver of life. And Cain has taken life. And God knows that Cain has done this. This is just a a picture of, of sin controlling Cain. He's riding like a horse. Turn this way. Turn this way. He's just riding. He has no control. Sin is driving this whole thing. This is just a textbook example of a sin nature. Cain's heart is, is hardened. He's dug in his heels. No fear of, of God. Cain is decided. The decision has been made. His heart is calloused. And uh, the direction of his life has been sealed. He is now a slave to sin. And it's clear. Everybody sees it. His heart is exposed. Now, folks, this is a picture of a monster. This is a picture of a monster. If you don't see this as a monster, there's, there's something wrong. We're being des- deceiving ourselves. This is cold, calculating Cain. He would do it all over again. He would murder his brothers all over again if he thought he could get away with it. And if he could, he would murder God himself. Problem is, is we're the same way. That same sinful heart, that same sinful uh, sin nature resides in all of us. We're the same way, and we would get get by with every sin that we could get by with if we thought we could get by with it. And it's just exactly what was read for us earlier, Romans chapter three. That there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. None who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Oh, come on. Surely there is one. No, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their, Their tongues are like... That keep deceiving. The poison of ass is upon their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness... Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery, they have not, they uh, have not, uh, are in their path. The path of peace, they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. That's a description of all of us. We are all rebels. We rebel because we are rebels at heart. We are sinful people. And Cain has just given himself over to sin. Sin is now... In the driver's seat. He's a monster. He's a monster. And if we don't see that. Then we're lacking something. Hollywood tries to portray monsters. Right? Back in the day. You know it was King Kong. It was Frankenstein. And the the creature from the Black Lagoon. You know. And we would shield our eyes. uh, Maybe jaws. And we would shield our eyes. Because it would be too grotesque. And and now, man, we want to see that monster. We want to see what that thing looks like. And, and we we actually turn that monster into little play toys and we and little pets. This is Cain. Cain is a, a monster. He is rebelling against God. He is shaking his fist at God. He has become a, a child of the devil. If you think, well, you're reading too much into this, you're you're putting you're you're uh, making Cain out to be too bad of a person. First John chapter 3, verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. So Cain is going to be an example of this. Everyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does the does not love his brother. But this is the message which we have heard from him from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who is of the evil one, that's Satan himself and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil. He had given himself full on over to rebellion against God. I don't think I'm being too hard on Cain. And I think the Lord is laying all of this conversation out for us. So that we can see this is the same sinful heart. This is the same sin nature that is passed on from Cain, from Adam and Eve to Cain. And is passed on from generation to generation. It's the same monster that we have in our own heart, in our own life. It's twisted. It's gnarled. Dishapen bodies. And, and it's grotesque. It's, there's full of pride and haughtiness. There's cold callousness toward God, our Creator, our Maker. He's, he's blind to the graces of God, blind to God's mercy and kindness. He's ungrateful. He's, he hates God. He's rebelling against God. There's a danger of rebelling against God. This is not cool. This is not cool rebellion. No, this is ugly, grotesque. God has been so patient with Cain. Even in his punishment we see that he is patient. Cain has chosen a life of rebellion against God. He rejected God's counsel and killed his brother. And now he's lying to God. It just shows a sinful heart. Sinful nature. Let's look at Cain's Cain's punishment here. In verse 11. Now you are cursed from the ground. Which has opened its mouth. To receive your brother's blood. from From your hand. When you cultivate the ground. It will no longer yield. Its strength to you. You will be a. Vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. We see two punishments there. But I want you to notice the first part here is I want you to notice the connection between the punishment and the crime. The punishment fits very well the crime that has been committed here. Um, Notice that Cain's skill wasn't taken away from him. He has the same skill. He was a, a very good farmer. He could produce... Uh, the skill wasn't taken away from him. It was the ground that is reacting, reacting to Abel's death. Now, just notice that's the way the Lord presents it. Um, the, the ground rises up and said, We're not going to produce for him anymore. And the picture is very graphic. You, you have Abel. His blood drains out of his body into the ground. The ground rejects that. Since that rejects that, and says something is wrong here, and cries out to the Lord, saying, uh, "Avenge Cain's blood! Avenge the death of—I'm sorry—Abel's blood! Avenge Abel's death!" The very nature itself knows something's wrong, and cries out to the Lord, the one who can do something about it. Refute or to uh, uh, avenge Cain's death here. That's the first part of it. The ground is not going to yield for you, Cain, anymore. And, and that's a reaction, I believe, from the from the ground. <clears throat> and then we see that Cain is going to be a wanderer. His security and stability of a farmer is, is going to be taken from him. He's going to be an alien from uh, people, alienated from people, and alienated from from the ground as well, so it's punishment here. Um, nature itself reacts. There's a lesson to be learned here um, from wisdom. We see in Romans chapter eight that the ground itself, very <clears throat> nature itself, um, groans under the under the control or the curse of sin. It cries out for righteousness. In this this big uh, battle between good and evil, nature itself knows something's wrong. And it cries out for justice. Craves justice. And in that battle between goodness and evil, there's a place for righteous men. We're talking about this. Paul and I were talking about this in Sunday school. You can take it too far. But sometimes we don't take it far enough. And we as righteous people must fight this fight. Even on a public scale. We have to scream out. Cry out against abortion. Tyranny. Abuse. We cry out against unrighteousness. That is being played out in our society. There is a place for Crying out for, for justice. Doing what is right here. And as righteous people, that's what we have to do. There's a responsibility. And if we don't, I believe nature itself is just going to cry out, Oh Lord, do something. There's something wrong here. Avenge the blood. And, and like I said earlier, that Abel was just the, the first to be killed for righteousness. And Christ himself said, Blessed are you when people... Persecute you and kill you for the sake of righteousness. So the battle rages. The battle rages on. And we as righteous people that seek and and pursue righteousness have a responsibility to to call out, Oh Lord, avenge the death. That's exactly what David did, isn't it? Avenge. Avenge the, the death of these martyrs. Number three, we see Cain's reaction then, his response. And what we see is just drama. Verse 13. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden. Now that, I believe, is on his part. It's a choice on his part. And I will be a a vagrant and a, a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Now, there's a nugget of truth in there. But what you see is this drama, drama, drama. It, it, you just see Cain full of himself. He, he's self focused, focused on himself, focused on his, his own safety, self pity here, a fear of, of physical abuse, people killing him, feeling a fear of exile, but not fear of God. That's just strange to me. It's No stability in his life, he's gonna be fleeing, and so he's gonna be fearing for his life. He's gonna be uh, his family, his own family is gonna take revenge and rise up and revolt and and kill the oldest brother for killing Abel. And so there's a nugget of truth in here. There there is he should fear for his death, fear for this, but but you still just see drama. Uh, A nugget of truth. And so in verse 15, the Lord provides for this. He's very merciful and gracious to Cain, even when he doesn't deserve it. In verse 15. So the Lord said, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him will slay him. So there's some kind of mark On Cain, maybe a a tattoo, it has to be something visible, but it's unique to Cain. It it wasn't, I know some people say, well, it's it's just turned in black and that's why we have a black race." So that is foreign to scripture. It's not at all, uh, not at all the point here. It's probably some kind of tattoo. It has to be just unique to Cain. It has to be something visible, but it's to protect Cain. And it's an act of mercy on God's part. He didn't have to do this, but it's an act of mercy. But it's also an act of, uh, this Mark is a reminder of Cain. He's going to go through his life in shame for what he has done. And again, I, I just see drama. You just see melodrama. You see pretend. You see theatrics on his part. And it's always about Cain. That's what drama does, isn't it? It just puffs up ourselves. There might be a nugget of truth, but that nugget of truth is just inflamed. That's what the sin nature does. It just inflames everything. And it's all about, about me and, my, and focusing on me. Um, but drama is a mark, I believe, of a, a sin nature. Of a sin nature. Because it, 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 takes, it takes sin really to a, a lower level. It's not just about me, but it, it's all kinds of sin, multiple sins uh, being thrown all together. It's about my stress, my workload, my health, my needs, my trouble, and drama is just saturated with sin. Saturated with sin, and and we look at Cain and we think, man, he's driven by this sin nature, and we have to be very, very careful because you know what we. We're all susceptible to drama, to making a bigger deal, things than we really should. Maybe a nugget of truth there. Drama is just saturated with sin. Sin is a whole, sin on a whole new level, drama is. And, and it, it's a, a mark of not facing our sinfulness, and it, it's a mark of just being deceived by our own sin. That's what it is. It's just, just drama, Cain's drama. One last point here, and, and this is in verse sixteen, and this is the ultimate rejection of God. Verse sixteen: Then God went out, or then Cain went out of the presence of the Lord, and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. The word uh, Nod there is wonder or a place of wandering or restless wandering is the root of the word. He noticed noticed that he he leaves the Lord the very place he needs to be. The only good thing in his life right now is that he could be close to the Lord if he would repent, confess his sin, and just get right with the Lord, get right with God, have that communion, that relationship with the Lord. But no, he's still independent of God. He's still in a state of rebellion against God because he doesn't feel comfortable there and i believe that there's probably going to be a lot of christians that that are just not really even going to be, feel comfortable in heaven with god i don't think they're going to get to heaven but they're not they don't feel comfortable why because they're still in a state of rebellion against god they don't even see it they're self deceived he's being influenced by by sin And when we're influenced by sin, folks, the the safest place for us to be is in the presence of God. To run to God and and bow down, plead for mercy. It's like leaving the hospital before you're healed. It's like pulling off that that life support before the time. There's real danger here. And, And I see so many people they get caught in a sin. Or they, they, they sin. They feel uncomfortable at the church. And so they just leave the church. And I think this is the safest place. This is the best place. This is the place you need to be. Close to God. Close to God's Word. Close to God's people. There's still hope. Cain can can be reigned in. He can rein himself in. He can gain control over this sin. And he can be right with God. Instead of running too God, he flees from God. There's a lesson to be learned here. Notice how sinful, or no, how deceptive sin is. It just is. You just do, you wind up doing the very opposite thing that, that you should do. Sin is deceptive. And it will deceive us into thinking that we're better off, better off, oh, I'm better off to just stay away from the church right now. You need to run to God, you need to be in that church. Do we recognize our sin? Do we clearly recognize the sin in our own life? Do we, we own our sin? Do we see that sin nature? Not just every once in a while oh sin crops up. No, this is a sin nature. This is what Paul is battling in Romans chapter 7. Whether it's public sin or not public sin. We have to come before the Lord. There's only one place. And let me, let me finish, and I'll close with this one passage. In First John chapter 1, just to remind you again. It's so good. First John chapter 1, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's where we belong. When we confess, we, we, we come together and, and man, everything is right and everything is good. Verse 7, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light. Verse 8, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin. This is what Cain should have done. We confess our sin. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned. We make him a liar. In his word, the truth is not in us. Folks, do we own our sin? Or or do we just see, well, that's just a sin. I'm not sinful. I'm just, that's just a sin. Folks, that very monster that is in Cain. That very monster is in us as well. We dare not be deceived. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this example. This negative example. But it's, in this example, it's a warning to us. And Lord, may we be warned. That, that sinful nature is so deceptive. We live in a world that thinks they're pretty good. Just because we're Americans. We're pretty good people. But Lord, we know our hearts. We don't have to look very far. before we know that we're sinful. And Lord, if we could get away with it, we would get away with the very sin that Cain did. Because at heart, we're murderers. But Lord, thank you for Christ. I thank you for forgiveness of sin. Thank you that Christ came and took our sin and put it on the cross on Himself, and He died for that sin on the cross, Lord, opening up a way, a way for us to, a way for us to have a relationship with you, Lord. What a joyous story that we have! A wonderful story, of forgiveness, and we don't have to be controlled by sin. We don't have to be. Driven by our own fleshly lusts, we can have a new capacity to love You and love our neighbor. Lord, thank You for Your work in our heart. Thank You for Christ, His blood, His atoning work. Lord, may we see the sinfulness of our sin. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.